just a heads up, there's some swearing ahead. If you're averse to that kind of thing, you may want to hit stop now. My father was an alien, born outside the atmosphere of planet America, and I am his alienated son. With left arm tentacle, squid body, last name treated by others like I told them it was Glorp. And they ask, where does that name come from? What they mean to say is, are you going to eat my face off, stuff me in the alien spaceship, then carry my body back to Mars? That's what I heard you people do. And see, my father wants me to go see Mars, but I don't see the appeal to me. It just looks like red dust and rocks and lost Mars rovers, and I'm pretty sure there's no hospitals or running water. I'm pretty sure. If I met my namesake family, they would disown me as being a mutated freak with hair and skin that covers an endoskeleton, whereas my father is all soft shell. And this puts me in a unique position. I am half a man by your planet standards, human enough to get interviews for jobs. But the first question they always ask is, so where are you from? And I know they can't do that. I know it's against the rules, but if I call them out on what they're doing, I won't have a job to come back to. So I say my last name is French. And you'd be surprised how many times it works. I don't have a statistical analysis for it, but I know every time I say I'm Martian, someone else is magically better qualified for the position. And people say I couldn't be Martian, because I don't look like one. And I don't secrete a mucus layer on the hindsight of my torso, so I must not really be a wetback. Spick. Fuck the metaphor. Soy cubano americano. Yo no digo la lengua de mi padre very well. Because I've never been exposed to that culture outside of documentarios, and there's only so many times I can watch the Buena Vista Social Club. Like, seriously, I am a sovereign nation. Wandering your streets, a nationality undocumented, which, despite its lack of heritage, does come with a good side. It means I'm not indoctrinated with cultural pride or bias, and I could see heteronormative, racist antics beyond their dividing lines and not care about how you look. Which is my way of saying the electrical chemical impulse that gives you the ability to think doesn't come with a dick a vagina, or skin color. It doesn't come with an affectation for Scottish rights and quinceaneras. This is an artificial form of segregation that we call race, which is not a scientific or taxonomic designation because the genetic difference between me and you is nothing. And nothing pisses me off more than people who say how cool it is that I'm friends with all men, women, transgender, and gay, simply because I have enough love in my heart to say, like, how the fuck does that work? I'm not making fun, I just want to learn. See, my father was an alien. Always looking for home. And I know home is not made in a house full of like-minded culture. I know home is what happens when I reach out to you and you reach back and hold on. I know home is a love, non-romantic, that you find within others when you share it like this. Open-armed. This is Indomitable City. I'm Joshua Montmany. The slam poetry you heard at the top of the show was written and performed by local artist and poet And Yes, a.k.a. David Laurent de Mola. He was kind enough to sit down and speak with me a few months ago. We talked about his background, his work with youth, his struggle with depression, his fake marriage, and more. Please note that this interview was truncated for the sake of clarity and time. There was some great material that didn't make it into this piece, so you should take the time to look and yes up. It'll be well worth it. I promise. And now, and yes. So my name is And Yes. I am a spoken word artist with zero forbidden goals, but it's not just that. I also sing uh, background vocals, my own vocals. I am 
uh, Miss Mars, which is Spacewalker's unicorn. Um, I'm a mentor, teacher. I mean, there's a, there's a lot. You know, I, f- I feel like as an artist, you have to be willing to do a lot, especially at the start or when you're, when you're newer, I should say, because mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to make money otherwise. In case you were wondering what it means to be Spacewalker's unicorn, and let's face it, you were. Let me fill you in. Spacewalker is a local musician. When she plays, and yes, dons a unicorn head, becoming Miss Mars, something like Spacewalker's mascot. The audio you're listening to is from First Fest 2017. It's a David Bowie cover. While Spacewalker goes about looping vocal tracks with what appears to be a toy microphone, and yes, as Miss Mars, can be seen swaying in the background. His movements remind me of an octopus in water, slow and graceful. Once Spacewalker adds a beat and begins to sing, Miss Mars comes to life. A few minutes into the song, the unicorn mask comes off, revealing and yes, his hair disheveled, his mouth a half-snarl, his eyes wild, his expression somewhere between that of a madman and a saint. That's Miss Mars. So I grew up in 90s South Sac, Florin Boulevard. Uh, my neighborhood was like a line. There was a line. You could almost draw it between the Bloods and the Crips. So, yeah, imagine that environment. And then move to the forest with upper middle class white people who, dear God, don't you even whisper the word fight or else I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a first generation Cuban American. My father came from Cuba, uh, was part of the revolution. Actually, fun fact, used to um, he was part of it in that he was a newspaper delivery person. So his participation was he would have secret notes in his shoe that he would hand to people. What a thing. And my grandma was part of it. So a lot of what I write comes from the perspective, not just of being Cuban-American, but not having culture, because also you look at I'm part Prussian and I'm part uh, Mexican. And there's no culture that really encapsulates all of that. And I feel like society asks me frequently, I should choose my white side, my brown side, even though I'm both of these things. And if I start expressing too much of one or the other, I'm gonna get quote unquote claimed. And then suddenly I'm not allowed to have access to that other part. I wanted to know when he first recognized his quote unquote difference and when and how it had an impact on his life. Um, back in New Hampshire, it was, what was it, fourth grade? I'm, I, f- I found out I was Cuban. Like, it hadn't been something that my family really expressed. And I found out, and I was excited, and I go to school, and I say, I'm, I'm Cuban-American. And this lady, and this little, little white girl, I'm sorry, but it's true, little white girl, she says, uh, you're, not, you're not Cuban. And I go, what? And she goes, you don't have brown skin. <laughs> and I was like, and I was just like shot in the heart, and I didn't even know what to say to that because I was just a little kid who literally had just found out. So it's you know, since I was a little kid, it's always been like you're not because you're. But but now to to give fair credence to the other side, I've been told that I'm not Cuban by Cubans because I don't speak Spanish. And then asked him how he goes about dealing with these various kinds of bullshit. I have a, a two-word mantra, which is "fuck it." <laughs> 
Oh, like, and uh, sincerely, like, if, if you're gonna sit there and go, you're not Cuban, you're not this, fuck you. And not not from a place of like hate. It's just like, no, understand. I'm gonna shake you a little bit and show you, like, nah, I am Cuban, and I'm proud to be, and I'm proud of, of my Prussian side. I'm proud of my grandpa, whose family comes from Prussia. I'm proud of my grandma who came here illegally from Mexico. It, it's really easy for society to shut you down. And for the longest time, I was. For the longest time, and I'm just kind of sick of it. <laughs> then we jumped into his early influences. I could tell you, um, when I was a kid, when I first started writing poetry, there were two poets who hit me. One was Shel Silverstein, who was an amazing introduction to poetry for youth. Um, and then I stumbled upon one day The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. And then what got me into spoken word, which is what I do, which is a little more performance-based, uh, was the first spoken word poem I ever heard was George Watsky. He has a poem called V for Virgin uh, on deaf poetry back in the day when he was like 16. So this is for those among us who got enough play through 12th grade to carry in an upside down teaspoon. For every kid with the collective romantic prowess of Steve Urkel, Richard Simmons, and Screech from Saved by the Bell, this... And then from there, uh, Buddy Wigfield. Buddy Wigfield is one of my favorite poets. He's just so out there, but he still manages to reel it in in ways that apply to everybody. Okay, I'd like to do for you my belief system, and I was thinking, since this is my belief system, uh, if you don't believe what I believe, maybe tonight after the show, your family and my family could get together and have a war. <laughs> it's very popular. And I think it's a great idea, because then we'll all die faster, and we'll know who is right. One of the many things Andes does is mentor local youth. So I asked him if he would talk about his work with Operation Free Soul. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to. It's uh, Operation Free Soul. So the basic idea of it, uh, the city, I was part of the process of getting the city to accept or the fact that it needs to actually fund the art scene here in Sacramento. So they ended up putting $500,000 out to artists in the form of grants that you had to apply for. Yeah, so I put in and Operation Free Soul just have to get the insurance for it, and then I'm gonna get funded by the city to basically mentor these kids on how to put together a show, how to sell merchandise, how to get in contact with venues. Yeah, all these things that like I was never taught, and I was like, I wish someone knew, because nobody in the poetry scene really knew when I was coming up. At this point, we switched gears, and I asked about the introduction he wrote to his 2014 book, Beautiful. He begins by stating that he used to hate the essay question, Who's your hero? He would give what he calls a stock answer. My father, or Hulk Hogan. But these answers seem disingenuous. Instead, Andes had an imagined or a perfect version of himself, and the two of them would meet at the mirror each morning. And this mirror self, he had graduated high school early and gone on to be a life coach. He sang in a band. He had lots of close friends and a girlfriend he was in love with. This was Andes's hero. Over the years... Andes would periodically revisit the idea of this mirror self and update the character's story. This self had gone on to cure a major disease, become a millionaire, did charity work, was a devoted father to an adopted child, used the word whom correctly in sentences. He was charming, polite, and outgoing, all the things Andes saw himself aspiring to be. At some point, Andes realized that if this was the version of himself that he looked up to, that he desired to be, 
that he should model his own life on that imagined self. Beautiful is the beginning of that journey to merge those two selves. I wanted to know where he saw himself now, where he was in the process of becoming this other self. I'll tell you, like, as the moment of this recording, like, I'm in the middle of a big change. So I've had major depression my whole life. I've had, I've been asexual my whole life and only realized it like three or four years ago. Um, so it's like the moment that you feel like you know yourself, you don't. And you're always discovering new things about you. Even if you feel like you're the most simple human being, it's, there's always something that will change and always something that you'll find. So about six months ago, my brother passed. It's been like six months of trial and six months of having to find who I am because he was such a big part of my life. And like, I'll, I'll put it this way. There are five people who've known me since I was a little kid because we moved around so much. And it's brother, 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 father, mother. Mm-hmm. One of them's gone, you know. So it's tough and it's, I've lost friends. I've lost a lot of people over my life, but when you lose someone who's your family, it feels more cemented. So it's been an interesting process trying to refine who the new David is through that grief while still trying to manage my depression and my asexuality. So I guess the, to finally answer the question, I have no idea. Because <laughs> it's like the hot iron not yet in the mold. It's still in the pot. I don't know what it's going to settle to be. It feels really good right now, though. I'm really wary of people who label themselves because you very frequently find that it's bullshit. Uh, and seriously like when I say I'm asexual I might find that I'm not one day and that it would be a huge stumbling point for me and I've seen other people stumble with that when they realize like no I actually want to have sex with people what does that make me now and there's this whole like cognitive fuck in their head but I'm uh, I'm not a Taoist but I've studied the Tao a lot and it's taught me a lot about being able to be fluid then things got even more real, and we talked a bit more about his depression. I, when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of friends. For long periods of times, I didn't have any friends, so I just had myself. Mm. Going through my depression, I didn't talk about it. I hid it really well from my parents, so they didn't even know until I wrote an article about it when I was 23 for the Sac State newspaper, The State Hornet. And, um, but when I was growing up in my teens, I legitimately had more attempts on my own life than I remember, or care to try and remember. Um, and I hit 15 and I realized like, no, I need, to, I, I need to make a choice right now. Like either I live or I go. And if I'm gonna keep living, I can't keep living like this, <laughs> you know? So um, I sat down and I actually wrote myself like a contract for like one year from now, if these things aren't met. Yeah, <laughs> so. Um, And nobody knows about that. That's my first time mentioning it, except for maybe like three people. It's just been a lot of figuring out what my signs are, figuring out where my head is every morning so that I can try and divert whatever I'm doing away from unhealthy habits. And everyone with pills, like I have people, because when I tell people I'm not on medication, they go, oh, you need to get on meds. Every med I've taken has flipped me upside down and eventually led to me being you know, attempting. (laughs) And um, so I just haven't found the right one yet. I'm willing to accept that as a fact. But at the same time, it's also not healthy for me to keep trying at just like a throw it at me shotgun method. You know, let's see what works. (laughs) 
Because you lose a lot of control when that stuff flips you upside down. You lose a lot of control. I was driving down the road one time, and uh, I can't remember what I was on. I think it was Selexa. Yeah, it was Selexa. I was on it, and I went, I'm just going to drive into traffic. And I started turning, and this is before my brain processed like what, the f what I was thinking. So that's when I went, I need to cut this. Because <laughs> I wasn't even feeling sad that day. I was feeling normal. I just went, I'm just going to. Now, I'm not saying that's a normal experience. That is a, a rare side effect, but I just happen to have it. If you're listening, <laughs> Selexa does a lot of good for a lot of people out there. I then asked if art and poetry have been tools that he uses to manage his depression and other aspects of his life. 100%. Poetry is my analysis of self so that I know where my head's at and know where I'm at. It is my uh, statements of hope for the future. It is my, my goals, you know, what I want to be. It is where I've been so that I can know not to go back there again. Um, and uh, I'm going to talk about another art form, if that's all right, Please. one that I haven't. Because I started doing improv the same time that I started doing spoken word. And improv has been the most just healing and um, useful art that I've found. Incidentally, improv is where Andyas derives his name. It's linked to one of the core rules of improv, in which you say, yes, and which he would later tell me in an email is a distilled version of, I take what you offer, build it bigger, and hand it back. That's how we grow the story we're telling. In the fact that you're talking about community, a group of people working together to build something that is impermanent. When you're done with the scene, it doesn't stay with you. There's nothing left. And it's that process of building things together, a whole universe and being open to listening to you and taking your input and using it to build my own thing, knowing that you're going to take it and use it too. Mm -hmm. That's empowering. Finally, we arrived at his fake marriage. It's a story that begins with his friend Grace. Yeah, she, she had some life stuff happen with her, and she made a whole list of things that she wanted done over the summer and just to get over it. And one of them, number 17, she, um, she wrote fake marriage and she tagged me. And I was like, okay. But you don't get to ask me like that. <laughs> so she's an amazing poet and working on making music herself. So we had a benefit show that I was hosting and I proposed to her there with a book, not a ring, of course. I'm not spending fucking money on, <laughs> on a fake marriage, on a fake marriage uh, to a queer woman when I'm an asexual male, which is perfect because there's no pressure <laughs> on either side of this being anything more than just a lot of fun. <laughs> So the wedding was beautiful. We had a, a pinata stuffed full of condoms and lube with the sign on the front. It was shaped like a monkey. And we wrote the patriarchy, put it on the front, let people break it. Um, and we had Spacewalker uh, officiated it, dressed as Prince. It, it, was, it was just wonderful and a whole lot of fun. We were planning on having a divorce party over the, uh, the summer. Also, Grace, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> we talked for a while longer. And then Andyas was kind enough to end the session with a poem he wrote for his deceased brother, Frank. This is, I'm trying to write in his voice and use his kind of thought process. So this is called To Those Not Yet Here. From the moment you were born, your life wasn't about you. That fact might depress you, but smile. Before you existed, the whole of human history circled around the topic of you. Billions of years of exploding stars, gases turning into dust, dust forming the ground that ancient beings walked on, it all existed to make you. And now that you've been made, your duty is not to serve yourself. 
You've been taken care of, nurtured for far longer than human beings have ever breathed oxygen. The moment you were born, life stopped being about you. It became about them. They the unborn children. They the dirt they walk in. They the ideas in your head that advance our society, not for you, but for them. See, you are part of a human history, often brutal, full of horrific atrocity, followed by beautiful uprisings. Proud parents standing up for their children's future in this world. And the truth is, I don't want to have kids of my own. I want to be far too busy sculpting alcoves of harmony for unborn hearts to study love. Because this life is not about us. Hasn't been since the day we were conceived. Our higher purpose is not to serve some godly being because I'm convinced if God exists, God knows that they are not the most exalted, would never serve their own purpose, but rather endeavor to make a path for its future creations. So grow for them. They the unborn. They the next of kin. They the ones who take over our world long after we've left it. And yeah, more than a few smart teenagers have said that this life doesn't matter. That if you look at the world macroscopically, it's all meaningless eventually, and that is a half-truth. True because eventually, no one will remember you. But untrue because you are part of a driving force of this world, a wave of whatever energy you push forth. And if enough of us choose to push forth for good, we can shift the future of this whole earth. And yeah, some people push back. Believe that they are the most important. Live for themselves, but their cause ends at the moment of their last breath. Meanwhile, you and I, when we live for the future, gives our, give our hearts to a small piece of forever. Yeah, you matter. You matter like rocks. You matter like particulate dust, forming shapes in the planet and stars. You matter like the whole of human history leading up to your birth. You matter like the future. But this life wasn't made for you. Just as tomorrow never comes, the future wasn't made for us. It was made for what we create and what we dismantle while we're still here on Earth. I love you, Frank. There's no easy way to transition away from such a heartfelt piece. So I'll just say that in the end, I found this gentleman to be a thoughtful, charming person with a giant heart, and I was terribly glad I got to sit down with him. He's part of a rich and interesting art scene here in Sacramento and I'm glad to have someone like him at the forefront. As far as I'm concerned, his mirror self has nothing on the person I got to meet. Go see one of his performances, folks. You won't regret it. Okay, so normally, this is where I'd fade in the theme song, but there's one more item to take care of before we go. If you're listening to this the day it dropped, June 15th, it just so happens to be Andy's birthday. I was going to sing the happy birthday song myself, but no one wants to hear that. So I asked the lovely and talented Hazel Levengood if she would do the honors. Lucky for us, she said yes. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear David. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, brother. Indomitable City is written and produced by me, Joshua Montmany. Our theme song is by Gypsy Cafe. I'd like to thank Hazel Levengood for her vocal stylings and Spacewalker for being so generous with her music. You can find her work at interstellarbeats.bandcamp.com. And of course, I'd like to thank Andyes. You can look him up at andyespoetry.com. And you really should. His work will blow your mind. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and tell your friends. 
Like, all of them. Tell all of them. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.